Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. I'm Nate Lewis, and I'm here with Scott Wieters in a uh, a brand new year, 2020. Scott, how, how are you? How you been? Man, Happy New Year, Nate. It's good to be back with you again. Um, we're getting back. We've had a little bit of a drought through the last year, but I think we're getting back with some energy. We've got an awesome host today uh, to, to interview, a guy that I, I really had the pleasure of meeting actually back when he was a medical student. So that says that I'm super old now. Super but old. Very excited to get yeah. back into this with you. Yeah. No, that's that's great. Yeah, we, um, we have some uh, topics lined up for this year and I'll be out at Cord this year. Are you going to Cord this year, Scott? I am not. Cord happens during my kids' spring break, and I would rather choose to be married than go to Cord. <laughs> I I can't uh, I can't blame you there. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh well, well, I guess I'll miss you at Cord this year, but we'll have uh, we'll have a good time without you. I hope. Hey, just random question for you. Since it is a new year, twenty twenty, um, I have to get your opinion on the record here. Are we? Also in a new decade, is that? Oh, for sure, man. No, this is like all new. I'm yeah. talking crisp, fresh, rejuvenated, new decade. I'm claiming it right now. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I'm not real sure where I stand on that, but I'll, I'll go with it. If you, if you say we're in a new decade too, I'll. Uh... Well, you got to commit, brother. I mean, you're either on or you're <laughs> off the train. It's going to move without you. I don't know, just, there's something about math that makes me a little hesitant to say that we're we're in a new decade yet. But uh... you're too binary, brother. Too binary. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's let's jump right into the topic at hand today. So we have with us. Uh, Scott, as you mentioned, um, uh, just a fantastic guest that's coming on for the first time, uh, Ronnie. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, how's it going, guys? Uh, my name is Ronnie Wren. I'm one of the medical education fellows at UMass Bay State Medical Center and the subcommittee lead for the Away Rotation Advising Section for Court Advising Students Committee. So uh, Scott is definitely right. I've known him since I was a medical student in Texas. Last decade, baby. Last decade. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. The last time I talked to him, I was a third-year medical student, and he was Dr. Weeders. So it's definitely a little weird calling him Scott today. No, man. You've done great, Ronnie. I mean, <laughs> you've really uh, done great in your residency. Now you're leading, creating new uh, guidelines and advising software. Uh, topics. And so, man, you're really, uh, really shining. And it's a pleasure to have you and watch you bloom and have you on the Emstead podcast. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And definitely really appreciate that. And I think a lot of that just came from the quality of advising and mentoring that we were able to provide all students across the state of Texas, across 10 different medical schools. We like it big in Texas. I love it. Another success story for sure. So Ronnie, so other than uh, being from Texas, um, you know, tell us tell us a little bit about why you even chose emergency medicine. How how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so I like to joke about being a Houston townie who never left till I got married. So I did all my schooling in Houston, including a Baylor College of Medicine for med school. My wife, who's a couple years behind me in medicine, ended up at UT Health in San Antonio for her medical school, so I, that's how I followed her there for residency. Mm. Then she matched into Beth Israel Deaconess mm. in uh, Boston for neurology residency, and that's what led mm. me to Massachusetts and Bay State EM for my medical mm. education fellowship. So I first got interested in EM mm. for the same reason that I became interested in medicine, which was I really wanted to help people in a time of need, possibly in the worst day, regardless of the issue, the time or the resources available. That mentality of always just trying to find a way to help or contribute in some ways to fix the problem just really attracted me to the specialty. I also had a diverse cast of mentors who really shaped my worldview in medicine, education, and mentoring. And these folks all have one thing in common, 
and they're all ER docs. So I wanted to grow up to be just like them. And that led to a lot of my experiences with uh, Texas College of Emergency Physicians, helping them design a medical student track to help advise students across the state and working with EMRA to get medical students more involved with the advocacy aspect of ASEP and its state chapters. And some of my work with uh, AAMC and just being a re- resident representative to the ERAS Advisory Committee. And I got to brag on, on you here, Dr. Wren. So, man, in Texas, the Texas College of Emergency Physicians med student track is like the biggest track at the conference. I mean, it is huge. And I've had the pleasure of working with these guys in the past, and I'm actually helping co-chair this year with another person from Houston, Dr. Hillary Fairbrother. And so April 2nd and 3rd, I'll pull in a shameless plug. You should come to Fort Worth and join us at the uh, medical student track on Saturday, April 3rd uh, in Fort Worth. Uh, Stand on the shoulders of Dr. Wren and his great work. (laughs) So Dr. Wren, after that, you did residency, but then now you're doing a med-ed fellowship. How did you find that to be the right pathway for you? Yeah, so you grow up wanting to be your heroes, right? So early on, I thought I wanted to do administration or health policy because that's what my mentor did. But sometime during residency, I just had to admit to myself that that really just wasn't my thing at all. But as I assessed the things that I really enjoyed about some of that work, what I valued in my relationship with her was she made me feel like I belonged. That kid who barely got into medical school like that he deserved to be here. And in spite of my imposter syndrome of feeling like I didn't fit in, like that I deserve to be taught, I deserve to be mentored, and I deserve to be an emergency physician. Not everyone has that privilege, I realized. And that's what I want to pay forward by shaping the learning environment and advising experience for the better. And that why is what led me to this point. Cool. So, Ronnie, another thing that uh, you're kind of known for now um, is that you're one of the authors for the EMRA in Court Student Advising Guide, specifically the chapter on applying for away rotations. H- how did you get involved as being uh, one of the one of the co-authors for that? So it's fortunately something that I stumbled into through some of my mentoring relationships. Uh, my uh, fellowship program directors, uh, Adam Kellogg and uh, Lucien uh, Luffy Clayton, they're both They've both been chairs of the Advising Students Committee, and as part of that, they, and knowing that my interest was in advising and mentoring, and knowing some of my past experiences, they invited me to uh, be on the authorship team. And I was I had the pleasure of uh, working with um, Duke's uh, David Gordon, uh, one of their uh, APDs and clerkship directors, and that was a great experience as well. So, Ronnie, we've. Uh talked about this student advising guide before. We've had folks come on and talk about it before, but never really in a lot of detail um, in any particular topic. Um, And what's great is that this is really an evidence-based guidebook, correct? Absolutely. Uh, We really try to, we really comb through the literature and existing statistics to try to give students the best possible advice in terms of implant or emergency medicine, what they need to do to just make it work. You know, this is actually a, a great time to be talking about this because a lot of, I think, current M3 students are just getting geared up and uh, getting ready to apply for away rotations. And so, I, you know, just first off here, how many away rotations do students need to be going on now? 
the bottom line is every single student should have two standardized letter evaluations. And that will mean different things for different students. For many students, and mostly allopathic medical students, whose uh, home medical school that's affiliated with an emergency medicine residency, they only need one away rotation because they can do a home EM rotation and end up with two total slows. For students that don't have that home EM residency connection, and hence not having a home EM clerkship, they will need to do at two away rotations, so they will end up with two slows before September uh, when they're applying to emergency medicine for the match. And just to, just to clarify, we're talking about slows, these standardized letters of evaluation that are specific to emergency medicine rotations, right? These are, these are uh, letters that you get for EM rotations only. That is correct. And so uh, tell me, why, why do you need two slows? Where, where does that number come from? This ultimately comes from the screening process that comes with applying to emergency medicine. So one thing that emergency medicine, all programs across the board value is an evaluation of the student by a trusted source who understands EEM and understands what it takes to succeed in emergency medicine. To get that information, we instituted the standardized letter evaluation to accomplish that task. And about 70% of the programs they'll have a screening saying, if you have one slow, we will evaluate your application. But there's about 30% of the programs that say, unless you have two slows, we will not evaluate your application. So what that means is if you want the ability to apply to every single EM residency program in the country, you should have two slows. That's what will make you the most competitive. Gotcha, gotcha. So this this is uh, important not just for your application um, and your transcript and your school performance, obviously, but this is really this is really to help land interviews. It sounds like that you really need to have these slows to get interviews. Yes, Ronnie. If 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 two are good, three's better, right? Not necessarily. I mean, I hear that a lot from students. So they're overachievers. So can you speak to that real quick? So we've done some studies on this, and what we've seen is the more rotations and EM that you do, the more likely you'll get a worse slow. Interesting. And there's a lot of reasons for this, I think. When you are doing these EM audition rotations, you're auditioning. It's a very, it feels very high stakes. And it's not just like you're in residency and you're just, you're already post-match, you're there to learn, you're in a safe environment you're actively feeling like you're being judged. And that wears on you eventually, it burns you out. And I think speaking to many, many students who have done multiple ways, they, they admit in hindsight, you know, by my third or fourth rotation, I was pretty burnt out. And I wasn't, I just wasn't able to give the 100% that I was in my first couple of rotations. Wow, that's, that's really interesting data. Uh, really challenges, I think, a lot of presuppositions that a lot of people have about more is always better. So that's good to know. Um, what about this? Where should students plan to rotate? How are they going to choose? So there are a lot of different strategies when it comes to deciding where you rotate, when, how many. The most popular way to decide, obviously, is geography. 
data always shows geography is one of the top reasons for what, how a medical student ranks the program. And people have different rationales for picking locations. For example, a guy like me who, you know, follows his wife for a living, if my wife goes to New England, I got to go to New England. So you can target your away rotation application strategies to just that region so the programs there can get to know you, a student from Texas, and see that, yes, you are genuinely interested in going to a brand new region. So that's one of the ways. That's a good point, Ronnie. I mean, you're a case example, right? I mean, you know, you go to Houston High School, you go to Houston College, you know, Baylor College of Medicine. Man, that's Houston, Houston, Houston. To think that a guy's going to leave the great Republic of Texas is a, is a stretch sometimes. So you got to kind of get out and spread your wings, I guess. Absolutely. And doing a way somewhere else is a great way to demonstrate to programs that you're willing to go somewhere else. So how do you find out about these rotations in these different programs? Well, the easiest thing to do is to go to the EMRA website. If you Google EMRA Match, the first thing you will see is this amazing program that will show you every single EM residency programs across the country. And generally, if there is an EM residency program, they have an affiliated clerkship. And there's even a, a clerkship filter on that. Is that right? I mean, it's kind of a Google Maps for med students. Yeah, and you'll be able to filter a lot of different information and even one of the biggest things that we've created recently is the spot availability indicator is where if you're maybe applying a little bit later, maybe you was, you're considering adding a few more applications before you decide to submit, you take a look at it and see, hey, is this program even offering a spot for this month that I'm interested in? Do they even have spots available? And if they say, hey, yes, we're still looking for students for this month, that's a sign that tells you, yes, I should be applying there if I'm interested. So, Roddy, in addition to, uh, you know, obviously geography is going to be a, a big component to deciding where to rotate and, you know, obviously availability. Uh, but is there is there any, any thought behind um, whether you go rotate with an EM program or, you know, is it okay to just do a bunch of away rotations where there isn't necessarily going to be a, uh, you know, an academic uh, EM department uh, backing that up? In terms of getting experience, rotating at a community EM program that's not affiliated with an EM residency will be a great way to see what it's like to practice emergency medicine after you graduate from residency. But in terms of getting the necessary letters that you need and successfully matching into emergency medicine, unfortunately, what you do need is to rotate at an emergency medicine residency program clerkship and obtain those standardized letter evaluations because that is how programs are going to filter your application. So really you want to you want you do want to be rotating at a place with a with a residency program. Yes. Okay, well cool. Uh, and just also um, I know we're coming up on it soon, but when does this whole process really get started? Are, are we are we signing into VSAS and applying now? Yeah, uh, it's this is the perfect time for you to be getting ready to submit those applications. And I tell a lot of my own students this and is start getting some of the documents like your vaccine records, you know, your some getting your school documents, uh, insurance forms, things like that, getting all that together, starting maybe even as early as November and just having that ready. 
VSAS, it's a rolling application system. Different programs open at different dates, but about a third of the programs will start opening in February, the rest sometime in March and April. So this will be a perfect time if you haven't started already to just start getting those documents completed. So you'll be ready to just hit submit as soon as some of those March openings and April openings come up. Yeah, it's always crazy how many requirements certain institutions have. You know, insurance is one thing. You got to be aware of that. You got to be aware of all your titers. You got to have, you know, things notarized. It it takes time to get some of these accomplished. And so doing your homework is going to make sure that you can get that really uh, strike while the iron's hot and get that stuff ready for submission. Uh, you know, pretty soon. I mean, are they going to be starting doing some 23andMe submissions for your you know, chromosomes and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of worried what's happening next, but. Absolutely. My biggest advice to students at this time period is don't let not having one required form be the detriment to you successfully applying for an away rotation. Mm, well said. Now, I was just going to ask, uh, what, what kind of troubleshooting and tips could people be aware of? What other kind of uh, high yield advice do you have from? I think the biggest advice that I can give students is when you're choosing where to apply, regardless of the strategy that you're using, whether you're focused on one geographic area or you're focused on going to an academic residency program that's going to get you to, like that EMS fellowship that you want, regardless of your strategy, make sure you spread the competitiveness of the programs you're applying for ways. Now, what I mean by that generally, there's two things that determines how many other students are going to be applying to the same programs you're applying to. One is the name recognition. If everybody knows the name of a program, they're probably gonna apply to it if they see it on VSAS or any other application method. The other thing is if the program's in a really cool city to live in, people are gonna apply there too. So considering those two factors, just kind of spread the type of programs you're applying to, and you should be able to do okay when it comes to getting an offer for a way. So I have to ask, uh, you know, worst case scenario, what if you uh, simply don't get the away rotation that you want, or, you know, really worst case scenario, what, what if you don't get one at all? The first case in which you don't get the offer from a program that you want. So ideally, you're only applying to for away rotations at places that you can see yourself at or in an area that you can see yourself living in. The second point in that regard is this isn't the match, right? You're not going to be training there for the next three to four years. Your The primary bottom line goal is for you to get a standardized letter of evaluation from a trusted source that is going to get you the residency interviews that you need to finally match a place that you desire. So if you don't get in a way at the, your number one choice program, that's okay. That's not end of the line, right? You haven't matched yet. As long as you do well at that rotation, you still have a chance to match at your number one desired location. In terms of if you're not hearing back, that's probably the biggest anxiety for every student applying to emergency medicine, whether they have their superstar students with 280s on their steps, or if there are students who might not have the greatest step score in the world. My biggest advice is try to be patient because of significant variability in response time for programs. 
and it might take two, three months for you to hear back, especially if you're applying in January. And that has nothing to do with you, and it's just everything to do with the program's timeline. So if you're feeling like you're not hearing back, you know, in late February, mid-March, it's still okay. But the question is, what more can I do to, you know, increase the chance of me hearing back? Definitely consider sending a letter of interest to the programs. A lot of the programs are already asking for it already about why you're uh, interested in this particular program and trying to be genuine about that. Especially, for example, if there is a significant reason why you want to, say, leave Texas and go to New England, be very open about it. Programs listen to those things and they value that a lot because one thing we always consider when we're sorting through students is does this student actually want to match with us or are they just applying to us because we have a good name, et cetera, et cetera. So just anything that ties you to a region or a program, just being honest about it and communicating those things are going to be really valuable. The second advice that I would say is if you do have an advisor, uh, if use your resources. If, you, if you're worried about not hearing back and you're just internally making yourself more anxious about not hearing back, get outside advice. Your advisors will be able to give you a much better sense of that the programs I apply to, were they too competitive? Is this the right time to be expecting to hear back or should I be more patient? Or is this a time where maybe, the, maybe your advisor can get involved, send some emails and help you hear back or tell you, hey, these are the programs you should check out and apply to. So that's gonna be really helpful as well. So Ronnie, that's some solid advice, man. So if I've got a summary here, if I'm hearing you right, I think you should probably have two rotations, okay? And they should, one should be at a home, another in a way. We talked about rotating with a program that has an academic emergency medicine program that's gonna give you that standardized letter of evaluation. We need to be aware of the, the names that mom likes and where all the people like to drink their you know, favorite breweries and favorite famous coffee and all the cities that are cool and be aware of those and choose a place that fits you. Now, it's unlikely that you'll need three. And in fact, you presented some data that says that your third slow might contribute to your burnout. It may be hard to keep that intensity going. It might not help you, it might hurt. Um, and then it's important to kind of talk with your advisor to really work through and make sure that you're working with an EM faculty that can help out. And I'll put a plug in that if you don't have an advisor, you can call Nate at 1-800-ADVISOR, and he will personally <laughs> advise anyone. Yeah, don't call that number. That's probably a real number. <laughs> that, does, that doesn't get to me. All right, so uh, Ronnie, thanks for uh, going through that with us. And, you know, again, I, I, I just have to plug this this book. This is such a great, um, you know, guidebook that came out last year that uh, really I, I think it is valuable for everybody to flip through. Um, but let's, let's now move to... Um, some other sort of related topics. You, you've actually done some studies related to away rotations and applying to away rotations. What, what, what sort of work have you done on that? Yeah, one of the things we realized writing this book chapter was that while we have a treasure trove of information what coming up when it comes to the actual match itself and what programs are looking for when they're interviewing EM candidates, we don't have a lot of information when it comes to students applying to get an away rotation, which is the first hurdle they have to cross. So what we did was we sent the survey 
about the student away rotation application experience in the EM 2019 match. We had about 250 students respond, so that's about 10% of all U.S. seniors who applied to EM in 2019. 25% of them were DOs, which is like a pretty representative spread. Students on average applied to about 13 unique programs for away rotations, and they received an offer to rotate there after about three. So in general, students can expect to receive one rotation offer for every four to five programs that they'll apply to. If you're a little bit more competitive candidate, and by that, I mean if you have like above average step score or a complex score, you can expect maybe do a little better. Like maybe you'll hear back every three to four programs. If you're a little less competitive, say some of the uh, a below average step score or complex score, maybe expect an offer every five to six programs that you apply to. And this across the board actually applied to both allopathic and osteopathic medical students. So osteopathic students, you can rely on this data information as well. So that brings up a good point that there's really not a whole lot else that goes into these uh, VSAS applications, correct? I mean, you don't have, um, obviously, your EM rotation performance in these these applications. It's uh, mainly your test scores, maybe a letter of recommendation, and I guess if you're up to date on your shots. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of variability in how different programs accept the student. For some programs, the clerkship director might have all to say. For other ones, the clerkship director might not even know who's accepted until two weeks before the rotation because the medical school filters through all the students. But one common thing, because it's the easiest thing to evaluate across the board, is your board scores. Step one is obviously easier, but programs are getting much better at evaluating complex scores. And for emergency medicine, the average step one score that makes you an average candidate on paper is somewhere in the low 230s. And for complex one, it's somewhere in the mid 500s. So Ronnie, what can we do to work on reducing the application stress? And, and what else advice do you have? Because I'm really hearing this is a very stressful event for students as they move into their third and fourth year. Yeah, the biggest thing students dislike about the application process is the significant variability in individual outcomes. And what that means is you can hear back from a program as early as a week after you submit an application to never. And students get very anxious about that lack of transparency. A lot of things we can't control, but there are a lot of little things that we are actively working on improving. In the meantime, things that I can recommend for students is one, take a look at the Emma Accords uh, Medical Student Advising Guide. We have information for, that's useful for students from all the way from MS1, MS2 level, all the way to ranking and program. And that's going to be able to give you vast majority of information that you need. SAEM also has a way rotation specific guide that's available on their website. So those three websites are going to probably be a go-to for vast majority of main information. When it comes to submitting the applications, I'll bring this up again, spread the level of competitiveness of the programs you're applying to. 
even if you're only applying to well-known programs, just based on geography, you can still get yourself a decent spread in terms of how competitive those individual programs might be. So you'll be able to do this regardless of the strategy that you're using. And in the meantime, use MRA Match to help you find some of the less well-known programs so that you're kind of spreading that level of competitiveness. In general, like all programs are pretty good. It's really just a matter of finding a fit and finding a place that's conductive to your own learning. And use the MR Match Spot Availability Indicator because if you're thinking about submitting more applications, if you're feeling like I just didn't apply to enough, it's been two, three months, I'm not hearing back, so I gotta submit more, check that stuff out because programs will be, programs are heavily encouraged to update that. And you don't wanna be applying to a program that's indicated that they're full, you apply, pay the money to apply, and find out a day later that they're already full. And lastly, just know that there's a large variability in hearing back from programs. Some programs are gonna be much better at giving you a response than other programs, and a lot of these are out of their control. So for the programs that do take longer, it's okay to ask them for a timeline of you know, when you might expect to hear back, but the, no amount of asking will make the process any faster. So just be very cognizant of that as you're communicating with programs. Did I match yet? Did I match yet? Did I match yet? Yeah, definitely doesn't work. Wow, Roddy, that is really some great information. And thanks for all of your hard work into looking into this. I know it's a it's an incredibly, you know, complicated and at times frustrating process for students. And it's so great to hear that we have folks working on making this a little bit more doable. Um, I, now, to change the topic a little bit, I, I have to ask you just your opinion about this um, this uh, accreditation merger uh, that's going on between the ACGME and the uh, Osteopathic um, Association. What, do you think that that's going to impact you know, things coming up? What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm cautiously optimistic about this. What this merger means is that all the DO students will be now matching through NRMP there will no longer be a separate osteopathic medical student match. This is great from a data and advising standpoint because now all the students will be accounted under a single database. And I'm really hoping this will make it easier for us to provide more robust data-driven advising for osteopathic medical students. I also hope that the data will reflect them being given a fair shot at matching the EM relative to the allopathic peers as well. One thing for the allopathic medical students looking at the new charting outcomes data, it's the definition of U.S. seniors. Because before the merger, U.S. seniors just meant U.S. allopathic medical students. Now, post-merger, U.S. seniors will mean allopathic and osteopathic seniors. In addition to that, that ratio of allopathic medical students participating in the EM match will look significantly smaller than it has before, and this will cause some confusion for the students, but this is only because we're just now counting all the osteopathic medical students that disappeared into the osteopathic match. The number of students applying to EM has not changed very much at all. The level of competitiveness of emergency medicine has honestly not changed in the past decade. 
The only thing that's really changing is the amount of applications each student is submitting and this artificial sense of increased competitiveness for scarce initial interview offers that everybody's propagating programs and medical students alike. Nate, that's another show in the bag. Special thanks to Ronnie Wren and his team at the Ask EM from Cord on putting together some fantastic information, some great research that I think is really going to help you become an EM stud. So feel free to follow us and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Also, visit our website at www.emstud.com. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. Rotate well, my friends. Thank you.